For the first part of our reading this morning, we're reading from Exodus 33, starting at verse uh, 18. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. The Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Our second reading is from Mark 9, 2 through 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were calling with, were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with, him, with them but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what, had, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. sermon series on the book of Mark. And this morning we're actually looking at two passages together, one from the Old Testament book of Exodus and one from the New Testament book of Mark. Now, we don't normally do this, but um, every once in a while it's really helpful to see that the Bible 
this book is actually, even though it was written uh, by dozens of different authors over thousands of years, it's really one story. It's one story of one God interacting with his world in love and grace. And so we're going to hold these two stories up next to each other this morning, and I hope that that is one of the things that we see. But first, a question for you guys. Have you ever, in your life, had a moment of transformation? Okay? Transformation, kind of a big word, sounds epic, you know, sounds intense. It is. Uh, It's grand. But what I mean here is something that happened that altered the trajectory of your life, maybe even your identity, maybe even your character, who you are. Uh, You may have known it was happening at the time, or maybe you only saw it looking back months or years after the fact. As I was thinking about this sermon and and this question this week, a few things came into my mind. Uh, The very first time I was asked to preach at my home church back in Missouri, I was 23 years old. I just finished college. I had not been to seminary yet, and this was a largest church, so I was asked to preach, and I'd speak that morning in front of about 1,500 people. And so right before I stood up, of course, I'm like nervous, I'm sweating buckets, you know, this is like totally scary. And uh, the pastor of that church, right before I stood up to preach, he leaned over and he whispered to me and he said, you know, we got a really good thing going here. Don't screw it up. (laughs) And he slapped me on the butt and then I walked up to preach uh, my very first sermon. So looking back, right, yeah, very encouraging, right? Um, Looking back on that moment, I didn't really know it at the time, but that really did uh, alter the trajectory of my life, right? I mean, here I am today, a pastor preaching at a church. Another one that comes to mind, the first time I was taken into the backcountry, right, and I experienced the grandeur and the beauty of the mountains like I'd never known them before. Or the very first time I met uh, Janet, who would become my wife. I mean, the, the, the day I met her, I knew, right? I was like, okay, here's someone special. Don't mess this up. This is someone I'm going to marry. Now, from her end, the story is very, very different. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. All these moments were transformative in some way. They changed me. They changed the trajectory of my life. What are yours? We all have these. We all have these events that happen to us that change us. Sometimes we know it immediately. Sometimes it takes years to reveal itself. Or here's another way to ask the question. Instead of turning your gaze backwards, turn your gaze forwards and think about your future. What would you like to change in your life? What would you like to be transformed about who you are or the direction you're going? And then how would that happen? Like what event or what series of events need to happen to really change us, to transform us? Well, the passages we're looking at this morning address these very questions. These two events that we're considering were separated by roughly 1,500 years, but biblically thematically and in terms of relevance for our lives, they're tied very closely together. Both are about a transformative encounter with God himself. So for our time this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to ask three questions of these two events. How are they similar? How are they different? And then what do they have to do with us? Like, why do we care what happens on two random mountains in the Middle East, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago? So first, the similarities. If these two passages really are accurate, 
I mean, historical accounts of actual real events, which I believe they are, then we're dealing here with two of the most monumental events in history. Consider what happens on these mountains. God himself comes down to meet humanity personally. I mean, God, who lives in heaven, comes down to a place and speaks directly to a human being. In both cases, this happens on a mountain, Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, and likely Mount Hermon. We don't know for sure, but likely Mount Hermon in the New Testament. And both times this happens in the midst of a thick cloud. Moses is present at both events, first as a participant and then as a witness. Even the six days that is mentioned in Mark 1 is the same amount of time, or Mark Mark 9, too, I should say, is the same amount of time that Moses spent on Mount Sinai in Exodus. See, clearly, the biblical authors, clearly God is tying these two events together for a reason. There's too many similarities for it to be random. So what's the reason? What's the point? When God reveals himself in his unveiled, unfiltered glory and meets with man, with humanity, we can't not be transformed. Okay, When we encounter God's glory, it leads to transformation. We're changed forever. In Exodus, we see this transformation immediately. After Moses met with God, we're told that his face shone with such brightness, his skin glowed with such brightness that when he went back down to meet with his people, he actually had to wear a veil because he freaked them out too much. Right? I mean, it was like this glowing human, and they were like, Things are getting too weird. So to interact with his own people, he wore a mask. I mean, we say uh, when someone is young and in love that they're glowing, right? That's just human love. I mean, what Moses encountered here was the very source and the very um, heart and core of joy and love and peace in all the universe. He encountered love itself, and that glory was infectious to Moses. He walked away changed, altered, enhanced after encountering God on that mountain. The passage in Mark is actually the same, except with Peter, James, and John, we see this transformation taking place over years and years. As they follow Jesus, as they get to know Jesus, as their heart grows in delight for Jesus over their lifetime, these men are also changed in profound ways. The unfaithful Peter becomes the rock on which Jesus builds his church. The sort of prideful, bickering, self-centered James and John also become pillars of the early church. And all three of these men, in different ways, end up giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, refusing to deny Jesus as their savior, even as it cost them the highest price. So it doesn't sound like the most obvious or relevant answer to that question, how do I change? I mean, we all know we need to change in some ways. We all know there are things about this world, things about ourselves that aren't right, that need to be adjusted, transformed. And this doesn't sound like the most obvious answer at first. But on these two mountains, when God appears, he's telling us the way he transforms our lives, the way he brings life and healing to our brokenness, the way he forgives our sins, the way he brings hope to our grief, the way he brings peace to our fears and purpose to our lives is by bringing us into his presence so we can encounter his glory. Not the first answer we may have thought of, but the one that God gives us 
in his word. Paul says the same thing in his letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we meet God, we can't not be changed. That's what makes these events the same, okay? What makes them different? Another way to ask this second question is, we already got that, right? We, we saw what happened once. God came down on a mountain, he met a man, and that man was transformed. We, we know um, what happens when humanity meets God. Why did it have to happen again? What was different the second time? What is God trying to show us with this second mountaintop experience that we didn't get in the first mountaintop experience? Let's take a closer look at Mark 9. Let me reread just the first few verses here. Starting in verse 2, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. He led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say. And they were terrified, okay? This event in the life of Jesus is called his transfiguration. Mark says that much. Jesus was transfigured before them. The Greek word there actually means transformation. It means change. Uh, But here's the thing. Jesus' transformation, his transfiguration, it's not like the transformation that happens to us when we encounter God. See, Jesus doesn't actually change on this mountain. Not really. His character doesn't need to be reformed. His trajectory doesn't need to be altered. He has been the same from eternity and will be the same into eternity. His character, his nature doesn't need changing like ours does. In fact, we read in Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his being. Jesus doesn't need to change What happens in this transformation is that he's revealed for who he really is, right? The the sort of veil is pulled back and you see the glory, the full radiance of the image of God in Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's powerful. He's righteous. He's good. He's loving. He matters. He, He has weight and significance. There's more reality packed into his pinky than there is in the entire universe Combined, He is like, he is who he is. And um, Jesus is revealed, his transformation is that he's revealed to his people. Now, in response to this, Peter kind of doesn't know what to say. Okay, he's, Peter's bowled over by the reality of Jesus when he meets him on this mountain. Um, and so he just says the first thing that pops into his mind, and it's a bit ridiculous, Let's make tents, right? Who's in? Let's make some tents because this thing just happened. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation um, where you've met someone who you're so enthralled with or who you look up to so much, maybe a famous person, a celebrity, a hero of some kind, and when you meet that person, normally you're a very articulate, you know, thoughtful, well-spoken person, but you get in the presence of that person and you just sort of become a mumbling, bumbling idiot and you walk away thinking, I don't even know what I just said. Like, how embarrassing was that? Now, again, this, this has never happened to me, of course. I was just wondering if it happened to you. 
Peter's words are something like that. He's just been bowled over by the grandeur of Jesus, the glory of God, and he sort of doesn't know what to say. So he says, let's make tents, okay? Why not? Now, this sounds ridiculous at first, but actually, actually, um, this isn't as crazy as it sounds. And I want to I show you why. Because Peter is a good Jewish boy, okay? And he understands what is happening. Even in the moment, he understands that this is a mirror, this is a replication, this is a round two of what happened to Moses on Mount Sinai. Even in the moment, he realizes this has happened before, okay? And when Moses encountered God on a mountain in a cloud and God spoke to him 1,500 years ago, you know what happened next? God set up a way for his people to continue to meet with them. And you know how that happened? In a tent, okay? God delivered this this pattern. He delivered this system. He delivered this way for humanity to continue to meet with God, and he set up a tabernacle. And around that tent, around that tabernacle, there was this whole collection of laws and regulations and sacrifices and rituals and cleanliness stuff and blood that was all designed for one and only one thing, and that was to to protect sinful, broken humanity from coming into contact with a holy, glorious, radiant God. Remember what God said to Moses on that mountain? We just read it in Exodus 33. He said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. I mean, what's going on there? To protect Moses during their encounter, God put him in a cleft of a rock, covered him up with his hand, and only after he passed by would he allow Moses to sort of see the the trailing robes as he walked away. He, He could see his back, not his face, never his face. See, the face of God overwhelms you. The, the face of God, the glory was too great. It would have been like coming into contact with the sun. Like we're not made of enough stuff to encounter God in his radiance and his glory. There's too much substance, too much weight, too much reality. We can't take it. So, so much of what the laws in the Old Testament are about and were designed to teach us is that humanity, you and I, we have an access problem, okay? We have an access problem with God. I don't know if you've ever tried to get a meeting with someone important. Uh, maybe a business person who can help you with a project or something. You've got their email. You've got their phone number. You keep pinging them, right? And you're just getting nothing back. All you need is a little bit of FaceTime, but you can't seem to get it, Okay. Um, you have an access problem. And this is exactly what Moses had with God. This is exactly what all humanity has with God. We have an access problem, and we can't get the FaceTime that we need. In our sin, in our frailty, in our brokenness, in our rebellion, we don't have that kind of access to the glorious, radiant, holy one. I mean, Granted, rarely do we want it as badly as Moses did, but even if we were thinking in our most like clear, most um, insightful, deepest prayer of our lives, and, and it mimicked Moses' prayer of, Lord, show me your glory. I mean, if we were thinking as clearly as we've ever thought, and the, the desire of our heart was to see the glory of God, we still couldn't get in. We have an access problem. So, you actually see why Peter's suggestion isn't so crazy, 
Peter was just thinking like a good Jewish man who intuitively understood the otherness, the separateness, the blazing glory of God. And when God does appear, let's set up a system, maybe tense, that'll work again, right? We did that once, let's do tense again. Let's set up a system where we can continue to know where he is and meet with him without being overwhelmed by his glory. But Jesus says no, okay? Jesus says no. We're doing it differently this time. We're going to set up a whole new way to encounter God. We're going to set up a new way to meet with God. This is the difference between the two mountains. The last time Moses was denied seeing the face of God for his own protection. But here, Peter, James, and John walk right up the mountain, see the face, the glorious face of Jesus Christ, and they walk away alive. They walk away just fine. What changed? What is the difference? The difference is Jesus has fixed our access problem, okay? Jesus has created a new way for us to meet with God. The difference between these two stories is not only that the men saw the face of God and lived, but why that's possible. In Exodus, after the encounter with the unveiled glory of God, Moses went down the mountain alone and God went back up to heaven to sit in his heavenly throne room, okay? But in this encounter in Mark, God walked back down the mountain with his followers, didn't he? Peter, James, and John were accompanied by Jesus back down the mountain. God didn't send them back into the world alone to fend for themselves on their own, to make sense of the brokenness, to figure out their way, to to sort out their problems. God himself walked down into that world of brokenness. He walked down into that world of sin. He walked down into the world of frailty and injustice. And he took on all of the things that the world could throw at him. He walked on even after his followers had left him. He walked on alone to the cross. And on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus fixes our access problem. He creates a way for us to meet with God, to get FaceTime with God and not be overwhelmed. Jesus, in other words, is our new tabernacle. He is the final sacrifice. He's the new and final priest who administers all of that Old Testament ceremony stuff that we need for cleanliness and purity before a holy God. Jesus is our new way to meet with God. All that Old Testament stuff was set up to teach us that God is separate and holy, um, that stuff is gone not because God changed. God hasn't changed. God is still as glorious and holy as he's always been, but because Christ is now changing us, okay? Um, Jesus gives us access to God by removing our sin and actually transforming us into creatures that can survive in the presence of God, that can meet with him face-to-face and not die but actually be changed to reflect the very glory of God. Jesus walked with us into death so that we could see his face and live. That's the difference between the two mountains in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, as we come to our third question, what do these two mountaintop experiences have to do with us today? Okay, A couple things that I hope are practical and relevant as we close our time together. First is this. We need worship, all right? And what I mean by that is we, we need more than belief. We actually need worship. 
So I find it interesting that Jesus invited these three followers with him up the mountain. I mean, after all, these three men, they already believed in God. They trusted Jesus with their lives. Peter, in the passage we looked at just last week, had just professed that he is the Christ. He's the king. He is God himself. Now, he didn't understand everything that meant at the time, but he really believed in God. Okay, He really trusted God, and yet Jesus still thought it was critical for these three men to come up and experience his glory. Why? I think part of what Jesus wants us to see this morning is that belief is definitely necessary to know God. We've got to believe he's real. We have to believe true things about him. But belief isn't enough to be transformed, to be changed by an encounter with God. What we need is um, we need to worship We need to encounter his glory. Worship is not just the right beliefs or correct doctrine. Worship is cultivating a delight in God. Worship is an amazement about who he is. Worship is longing to be near him. It's loving him as a person. It's craving his word. Worship is like hunger. It's like you you want more of him. You need more of him to taste and delight and encounter who God is. Worship and belief. It's the difference between studying a topo map of the area that you're going to go hiking in and knowing every single undulation of the land, right? Knowing all the peaks that you're going to be around, knowing their names and their heights, and then actually going out there and being in the grandeur and the wonder and the beauty of it and just taking it in. It's the difference between reading the reviews of a great restaurant and seeing the documentary of the chef and even starting to wrap your mind around the science of his molecular gastronomy theory of you know, meals and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's, the theory, it's the difference between knowing everything about it and sitting down at his table and letting him feed you and enjoying and delighting the meal that comes before you. Worship includes belief, of course, but it presses forward into adoring, delight, enjoyment of our Savior and our God. So what Jesus gives these three men on the mountain that day was a foretaste, I think, of what all of us are really looking for, an encounter with the glory of God. So last question as we wrap up, how do we get this? How do we get that, right? Moses got it. Peter, James, and John got it. A direct encounter with the glory of God. Do we just keep hiking peaks around here until the thick clouds roll in and then we hang out for a while? No. First, because it goes against everything um, that's safe in the mountains. When the clouds roll in, you need to bail as fast as you can, okay? But second, these events and these clouds and this presence of God on these mountains, they weren't designed to be replicated by every believer for all time. They were designed to point us to the place where God's unveiled glory is now. And this is surprising. Peter wrote a letter to local Christian churches towards the end of his life. Churches just like ours. In 2 Peter, he said, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. He's saying, I was there. I had the mountaintop experience. You can trust me what I say about Christ because I saw him in his glory. And the next thing that he goes on to say should, should sort of blow our minds. 
Yet we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is an incredible claim. He's saying that I was on the mountain. I saw Jesus in all his glory. I saw him transfigured. I saw the face of God and lived. I was the first person in the history of humanity to see the face of God and live. And I'm telling you, you actually have something that's more fully confirmed in your pew in front of you. This Bible that we open up every week, this prophetic word, this is where the unveiled glory of God is for us today. And you would do well to listen to it. He's saying if you want to meet God, if you want to encounter his glory, if you want to experience transformation, the Holy Spirit today is at work through the scriptures, illuminating its truth, helping us encounter God and changing us from the inside out. This should give us incredible confidence as we open the Bible. It's never wasted time. It's never wishful thinking. It's actually the very face of God. God says, this is my son, listen to him. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to your doubts and your fears. Encounter his glory in his word. Jesus is there. He's unveiled. And when we meet him there, we're transformed by the Holy Spirit into his glorious image. It's a surprising answer to our question. How do we change? What's God's plan for our transformation? It turns out, We've had it with us all along. It's the face of Jesus Christ revealed to us in his word by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us this morning in your word. It's funny. It often feels like when we open the Bible, uh, not much is happening. We're trying to understand what it's about. Uh, sermons might be boring, they might be long, we might get distracted as we read on our own in our quiet times, but you are present there through the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that's even more certain than encountering you in your glory on a mountain. I'm not sure I believe that. Help us believe that. Help us become people of your word. Help us feast on it and enjoy it. And Jesus, transform us, change our lives as we encounter you in your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen.